are thrilled to have Skip and Ruth Sorensen. You just saw their picture. Now you get to see them in person. Can we give it up for Skip and Ruth? If you're not familiar with their ministry, they've been serving in Uganda since 1985. That's over 35 years of faithful service in Uganda, raising up churches, pastors, church leaders, encouraging so many ministries there. And it's so sweet that we get to partner here, Auburn, Uganda, partnering together. And we're so grateful for both of you and just wanted to give you a chance to, to share a greeting as well with the church. Well, yeah, that, that would be super. Let's... Uh, Let's do that too. Let's see. Our sound guys are quick. Okay. That'll work. Okay, good. Right on. Uh, again, I'd just like to repeat what he said. This church has supported us for over 36 years. So I think that's pretty amazing. Amen. And uh, we've seen a lot of amazing things happening in Uganda in those years to just a few churches, to a multitude of churches all over the country, not just because of us, because. God is working in Ugandans, and we just are so privileged that we represent you there. We are making disciples. We are encouraging uh, men and women to start churches throughout Uganda, and we're continuing to do that. We plan to retire in about four years, so okay. pray for us in that last kick that mm. we can really um, make the difference. We are working with the Bible College. We want to help that college become more independent and uh, have some other goals of writing more materials so that it can be used to disciple and train Ugandans. So uh, we weren't sure about things when we were coming because of Ruth's health, but we've seen the doctor and he said that uh, just continue to go and continue to work. Yes, and, uh, yes. And so we plan to go back in December. So in thank December. you very much. Wonderful. Let me pray for you too. And uh, yeah, we'll return the mic so Matt can continue to sing later today. Uh, let, let's pray. And the meet and greet is today after second service at noon in Grace Cafe so you can hear more stories about Uganda. I know Africa's close to my heart. I lived in Zimbabwe. And just so we also appreciate how you're serving there and and. We're so grateful for what God is doing in Uganda. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your goodness, your provision, 35 years of your faithfulness. And Lord, we, we love Uganda. We thank you for so many dynamic churches and leaders and how the word is going forth throughout the country. And God, we pray for Skip and Ruth, thanking you for their time here, connecting, young at heart, just so many great conversations. Bless them today as well. And we thank you that you go before them, Lord. You've given them a green light with the physicians. And now these next four years, we pray it be incredibly fruitful as they fully rely on you. And we pray for revival in Uganda and your provision for that nation. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, wonderful. So you can join at noon in Grace Cafe. Also, you'll notice in the lobby, there's uh, just people there ready to greet and interact. The reason why we set up those tables is because sometimes you just need it more personal than a card. And we were really encouraged last week how many people were coming up to the tables, asking questions, wanting to serve, and finding out more about the church. So continue to have those conversations. Also wanted to give you an update with the speakers. Uh, we are taking these speakers because we need speakers over in the chapel. So we're going to take these speakers over to the chapel, and you, you might have noticed these speakers don't adequately cover this room. So we have a wide range, regardless of how skilled the sound guys are. Some pockets in this room are very loud, some are quieter, and there's a wide range. And so we're thrilled we found these uh, speakers at a great price, and these next speakers, they're on their way. They're shipped already in a couple weeks. We'll create an even volume across the room, and uh, we're grateful for that too. <laughs> 
And we're thankful. You know, this building's over 20 years old now, and at that point, we've just done a lot of repairs to HVAC. We just put on new roofs in the building. All of that, you know, the main thing is we're seeking Jesus and following Jesus. We are also grateful for the, the provision of God and together as a church family. And, you know, it's great to have a roof that doesn't leak. It's great to have HVAC. These are all blessings, and we don't take them for granted. So thank you. We are in Titus, the book of Titus chapter 2, just two weeks left in this series, The Joy of Serving. I hope that you are finding incredible joy in serving Jesus, not just at church, but in the community and at home as God gives us strength and desire to serve him. And also, this is a time in the world where I think followers of Jesus need to be both bold and also nimble. Very flexible, listening to God, tuned into heaven, and very courageous as well. We're going to see it in this passage. We're going to walk through some things that are very interesting in this passage. The workplace, worldly passions, the government, it's all right here in this passage. So let's dive into God's word as we uh, pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your clear word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Lean and guide us, Lord, individually and together as we want to honor you and live for you. And we submit, we trust, we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul is writing a letter to Titus. Paul is Titus's mentor. And the purpose of this letter is to build up Titus and also to build up the churches on the island of Crete. This is off the coast of present-day Greece. There's several churches there is a lot of sin on the island. There's a range of ethnicities and ages and different spiritual backgrounds that are all coming together on this island. And again, the purpose of this letter is to build up. Build up people. Build up the local church. I encourage you to build up other people and build up the local church. Wherever you are the rest of your life, find a local church. Find specific people. Build up the people. Build up the church. And that is coming straight from Scripture. That's straight from God's heart. What's trendy now is for people to move and go out of the church. People are going further away from the church. They're leaving churches. Church is becoming less and less cool and popular. But I challenge you as you read the Bible that actually God's heart and design is through the local churches and for his people to build them up. The cool thing to now is to say, ah, I'm just doing my own thing. Yeah, I don't really have a church. I'm just doing my own thing. But I don't read that in the Bible. Yeah, I'm just doing my own thing. What I read in the Bible is let's build up the family of God together. Let's serve one another. Let's love one another. Let's pray for one another. And we want healthy churches. This nation needs healthy churches. The island of Crete needed healthy churches. And here's the kicker. Serving is challenging. Have you noticed that? Often serving is challenging and often life is difficult. And in this letter, it's not shrinking back or denying that, but here's the mindset. Challenges are actually opportunities. Your greatest challenges are probably your greatest opportunities. And we can overcome opposition. We can overcome some of these challenges. And how do we overcome it? Three specific areas. The workplace, worldly passions, and an earthly government. How do we navigate those three as followers of Jesus? And what you're going to find as a golden thread here is that the most joy is sometimes and even often in what initially doesn't feel as good. Did you catch that? If we only chase after what initially feels good right now for me, we're going to miss the greatest joy and we're not going to glorify Jesus fully. So we have to be aware 
that the greatest joy in glorifying God in the greatest way sometimes is going to include what doesn't feel good initially. And that's a theme throughout these three different topics, three, three specific areas. How do we overcome? What does it look like? We're going to start in chapter 2 and verse 9. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. What do you do with difficult employers? Maybe you've had difficult employers, difficult supervisor. What do you do in that situation? Well, as we turn back the clock and go into the island of Crete, there was the reality, and again, it's not hidden, there was the reality of slavery in a Roman society. And the reality included the slaves had no legal rights, and the owners of the slaves had full authority. And that was the situation. There was a range of harshness, but the reality was slavery was not going to go away at that point. People were going to be in that situation throughout the duration of their lives. Now, eventually, and yes, we're all for the abolition of slavery. We are completely against slavery in every form, in every situation. That's clear in the Bible. But it takes time to make earth more like heaven. And what do you do in the meantime while slavery still exists? Well, the Bible highlights a couple things. Slaves and masters, be kind to each other. Love one another. Love your neighbor. Also, masters, you need to be kind because you're going to be held accountable to God. You're not the highest point. No, you are accountable to God. And so if you're an employer, if you're a boss, uh, you're also accountable to God, even though it might look like you have all the authority. No, you're going to answer to God. And a big percentage of the church then were people who were slaves. And the question was coming up. I mean, if they had Instagram back then, if they had Facebook back then, if you could ask the church a question, it would be, okay, I'm a slave. How do I live out this Christian faith? What do I do in this situation? And you're going to notice this throughout many different texts in the Old Testament, the New Testament. There's slavery happening. And uh, how do we glorify God in the middle of that? Uh, ultimately, I'm grateful for Christians. It's sad when Christians actually protected and promoted slavery. It's terrible in history. But many Christians were courageous and brought about reform. But what do we do in the middle of the situation? First Peter chapter 2, and starting in verse 18. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and deceit was uh, not found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Doing what initially doesn't feel great. What does it look like? 
for slaves on the island of Crete. Here's a couple things. First, remember Jesus. Put your mind on Jesus and all he endured and why he endured it. Why did Jesus go through all the suffering, including the cross? Because the heartbeat of his life is to bring glory to the Father. In dying on the cross, although it was murder and he was sinless and it was injustice, he suffered bringing glory to the Father. So the beginning point here is to remember Jesus. And not just remember him, but also imitate Jesus. We are called to suffer as followers of Jesus. Paul said, I want to know the power of the resurrection and also share in the fellowship of the sufferings of our Lord. We're called to suffer. It's actually commendable to suffer. Not for doing wrong. Yes, there's consequences for doing wrong. But when you do the right thing and you suffer, that is commendable. God will reward you. And also, the emphasis here is on faithful hard work. If you have a master, whether he's kind to you or not as kind to you, be faithful to God first. Be faithful in your job. And that goes for all of us. Be faithful in our work. When you think about uh, some of the statistics, I looked at Gallup, and this is 2005. In America, 55% of people who are working are actively disengaged with their job. Over half actively disengaged with their jobs. When you think about all of the time that people maybe don't work hard, it costs billions of dollars for employers. So when you, whatever setting, you say, well, it's not my favorite job, so I'm not going to work that hard. That really doesn't fly in the Bible. Uh, we work unto the Lord first, and we work hard in his strength. Also, uh, you're respectful. I'm respectful. Two things. Don't talk back to your boss, and don't talk behind his back. Some people that are loud, they'll just talk back to the boss. Some people that are passive-aggressive, they talk behind his back. The Bible says both are wrong. So don't take that posture. Don't fall into that worldly trap. And then also lead people to Jesus. What an interesting phrase. I mean, what are you doing at your job? Yes, you're working. Yes, you're using your gifts. Absolutely. Yes, a paycheck is a blessing. But ultimately, you know what you're doing? You are representing Jesus, Christ in you at the workplace. And what's interesting here in this phrase is make the teaching attractive. In other words, maybe you've told some people about Jesus, but you know where they're really going to see it lived out? It's not just through the words of your mouth, but your life. They're going to say, I haven't seen someone handle conflict like that before. I haven't seen someone forgive like that. I haven't seen someone have so in much integrity. I haven't seen someone, when no one is looking, not cut corners like that. I haven't seen someone go beyond their job description and look to serve the other people. I haven't seen someone take everyone out to lunch like that. You know what? I just see Jesus. It's not just your teaching. It's your life. In the teaching you give, what you shared in your words, I'm seeing it lived out at the workplace. That's our number one calling at the workplace more than anything else. And one thing you can always have, always have, is a powerful testimony for the Lord. Even when there's an injustice like slavery in the land, one thing that no one can take away from you in any situation is a powerful testimony for the Lord. As you abide with Jesus, his joy and peace and love, the self-control, no one can take away your testimony for the Lord, no matter how bad they treat you at the workplace. So live for the Lord. Psalm 126 says, the Lord has done great things for us. 
And you might kick back and think, oh, the Lord just showers his blessing. Actually, in Psalm 126, it says that we sow with tears, but there's an incredible harvest. Sometimes I think we're kind of naive, like, oh, yeah, workplace is going to be easy, no opposition, you know, no, nobody gossiping at the workplace, no spiritual battle at the workplace. Like, it's just all going to fall into place. No, it says we sow with tears. We get mistreated by a fellow employee, but we pray and we pray and we pray and forgive and love them and serve them and bring a kind word to them. That's sowing in tears. But then there's a reaping of a harvest. And uh, here's a couple things to encourage you. I saw this from the Business Insider. Walt Disney was fired. He was fired from the Kansas City Star. And you know what they said? Walt Disney was not creative enough. He lacks imagination, and he has no good ideas. You know, how true is that, right? How did that play out? Sometimes people try to push you down. Mark Cuban, it says, was fired. Why? He didn't open the store on time. He was talking to a potential client. He didn't get the store opened on time, and they fired him. Well, what did he do? Go on into business, and $2.4 billion later, uh, there was some potential there with Mark. Uh, What about Bernie and Arthur? You know, Handy Dan's fired them. Just didn't see the potential there. So they started Home Depot. Kind of worked out all right, didn't it? Handy Dan's missed it. You're going to have a Handy Dan in your life that's going to criticize you, try to tear you down. You're going to have some boss, employer. You're going to have somebody that's harsh to you. And my encouragement is don't stop using your gifts. Don't get out of the game. Don't go into despair. Don't be too deflated. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Endure whatever comes your way. Continue to serve him. Glorify him. The workplace is your mission. That's where God has called you to spend the most time. I try not to be jealous. Because sometimes, you know, pastors, we just can't, we don't have the time and the energy to build all the relationships that you do around the city. But God strategically places us in different neighborhoods and workplaces and schools. So his glory and his love will spread throughout the whole city. And even if you have an employer that's harsh and difficult, find your trust in the Lord. No one can take away your testimony at the workplace. This is an empowering message today. Uh, First of all, difficult employers. The second one is worldly passions. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no, that's a key, no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, in godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope the glorious appealing, appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all the wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority, and do not let anyone despise you. On the island of Crete, worldly passions were everywhere. That place was amped. That place had more temptations. If you were going to look around at the different locations, that might have been one of the most difficult places to lead a church and stay pure. And that wasn't going to change too quickly. So the worldly passions, the patterns of this world, uh, the patterns of sin, those are not going to go away. So how do you live for the Lord in the middle of all that? Well, here's a reality It's not just what's around us, it's what's in us. 
we can't just point the finger and put all the blame on what's around us in the culture because every day, the truth is, there's part of us, the Bible calls it our sinful nature. It's the flesh. Every single day, the flesh wants to run towards pride, better than other people, lust, laziness, greed, lying, gluttony, selfishness, the list goes on. Every single day, for every single one of us, it doesn't matter if you've been following Jesus for 50 years and you read three chapters of the Bible every day, part of the flesh wants to run towards that. And there's this battle between the flesh and the spirit every single day. So what does the Bible say? We need to rely on God in this area. Rely on God in the area of temptations. First of all, we need to remember the grace of God, that we are redeemed. What a glorious word, redeemed. It means that we are set free with a payment. We are bought. The blood of Jesus, the death of Jesus, dying in our place, we are set free. Set free in two ways. We are set free from the patterns of this world, from guilt, from shame, from habitual sin. Jesus sets us free. But it's not just from those things. He sets us free to run, to walk, enjoy, to serve other people, to love other people, to lead people to him, to use our gifts. He sets us free to do those things. And the more you say no to the junk, the more you are free to live for God. And all of this is the grace of God. He loves us so abundantly. He loves us before we sin, while we sin, and after we sin. His grace is greater than our sin. His grace is radical. His love is abundant. You know, Luther said the last doctrine we really embrace is the love of God. Sometimes that's the hardest one to really receive, not just in the head, but the heart. And I don't know what it's been like in your life trying to overcome sin patterns, but in my life, it's God's love that makes the difference. Sin, it's not like when you start to follow Jesus that every sin looks disgusting. Now, every sin is destructive, but I'm just saying in terms of an appetite, you don't just lose your appetite for sin altogether when you start to follow Jesus, but your appetite changes, and you find one you love more than sin. And now it's like, well, there's the sin. That's appealing. It has maybe a short-term pleasure and a big cost, but over here, following Jesus, I love Jesus so much more than this sin that now I'm going to go in a new direction because I found a greater love. Sin doesn't love me. Sin doesn't love you. Sin's deceptive and cruel. Sin's a cruel master and a cruel God. I don't want to follow and devote myself to a cruel God. There's a loving God, and there's something so much greater. And so I want to follow God who loves me truly. And this greater love changes the way we respond to sin. Now, there's also the power of God. We need the power of God because all of us are tempted. Take heed lest you fall. We need the power of God. We need the word of God. Uh, we also need each other and accountability. You know, right here where Paul says to Titus, teach. Okay, teach. Sometimes when we hear that word teach, we think classroom, lecture, knowledge. But this word is so much broader than that. Think about a parent. It's not like a parent's job is just in this narrow, okay, my kids, gather around. I'm going to teach you. Get out your pens and paper. You know, that's not a parent teaching. A parent teaching is connecting, encouraging, walking, rebuking, 
accountability, relationship. That's the teaching. Teaching, as we teach one another, it's doing life together, speaking into each other's lives, building up, encouraging, hold each other accountable. Titus, your role is to teach in that way. Not just, although it's important, preach the word, Titus, absolutely. But beyond that, this is a lifestyle 24-7 where we're teaching, we're learning, we're growing, and we need each other. We need God's word. It's a sword in the spiritual battle. Don't go into the battle without the sword, and we're going to be tempted every day. Inward and outward, and uh, you know, it, it's a combination here. It's the inward purity that God wants to bring in our lives, and it's the outward serving, and the two go together. Sometimes people are outwardly serving, but there's no inward purity. That can be a mess. But when there's an inward purity and an outward serving, you know what happens? You honor God. The power of God transforms you in the deep places inside, and you know what the overflow is? The light of God on the island of Crete, where it's been very dark. The sound, it's very dark in some places spiritually. When there's a purity on the inside, the power of God, I'll challenge you, you cannot be a disciple without being an evangelist. It was not either or, ever. It's both. And we need to go out in the community and share the love and serve and the word of God. And as we follow Jesus, he does an inward work and he also works through us. It's a both and. And we look forward to the return of God. Again, it's your testimony, a powerful testimony, and the, the return of Jesus. You know, that should bring some joy to the heart, that Jesus is coming back. That, that, that should bring some confidence. Uh, that should help us look beyond just 2021. That should give us a boldness to know that Christ is going to return and for this very short time we're not home but we're here on earth and we're going to live for him because we know it's coming and we know the faithfulness of God. That should awaken us to get rid of some sin and live for Jesus in a humble, bold way right now. Right now. David Youngi Cho, I have a picture here, went to be with Jesus, and he's been a church leader in Korea. He's 85 years old, just went to be with the Lord. He came to know Jesus at age 17. His father experienced bankruptcy. He had tuberculosis. He was coughing up blood, and at age 17, he put his trust in Jesus. He started a church there, and it was with his mother-in-law. That's a beautiful thing right there. I don't know what your relationships are with your in-laws, but can you imagine starting a church with your mother-in-law? That is, that is God's work right there. And, uh, and they took uh, these pieces of, and it was, you know, Americans, uh, missionaries went over and trained people and really trained people to pray in Korea, trained people to pray and get into the word. Also, as the military was over there, there were pieces of the tent, and David and his mother-in-law took pieces of tents that they found, just any material that they found, and built a little tent and started a church. And only about four or five people came. And it was a slow start. Don't despise small beginnings when God is in something. After three years, there was 600 people now in the church. So many people coming to know Jesus. And do you know at the peak of the church, 900,000 every week in Korea. The, the biggest church in the world, 900,000 people every week. And he's been asked so many times, like, tell us the story. Like, what was key looking back on this church? And uh, a couple things he said. First of all, the word of God. It's the word of God. You, you trust, you follow, 
you obey, you live. You say no to worldly passions and you say yes to the word of God, how you live and what you teach. He said that's essential right there. Also essential is smaller groups. We call them life groups. I call them cell groups, small groups, life groups, cell groups. It's synonymous. Jesus gathered 12. That's the idea. And you make disciples who make disciples. And he said that multiplication through Life groups. That's why life groups, you know, at our church, it's the core of our church. We have life groups, and then we raise up leaders, and they lead to more life groups and raise up more leaders. And not because it's our idea, but because it comes from Scripture. It's how Jesus did ministry. So life groups, he said, uh, is another key. And then um, also uh, another key is the Holy Spirit. He said, we couldn't do this on our own strength. This isn't just like a couple planning sessions, some good ideas, and okay, let's go do it in our own strength. At every point, we're relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, not flesh. And then lastly, he said, prayer. You know what's interesting? The American missionaries taught the followers of Jesus in Korea to prioritize prayer. And throughout Korea, there's really a culture of waking up early every morning and gathering for prayer. But he said throughout the, the history of the church, we prayed with a do-or-die desperation in prayer. Not just sprinkle a little prayer there. Oh, that prayer sounds nice there. Yeah, once in a while we pray at home. But we had a lifestyle of do-or-die desperation in prayer. And just listening to that, it made me think through my own prayer life, like, is that true of my life? Is that true of our lives? That we are desperate and fervently seeking God, crying out to God for God to move in the land? A desperation for do or die prayer. He said, that's how we've done ministry. And look at the fruit that came from that. And, and I think there's a lot the American church could learn from the church in Korea in terms of prayer. Believing and holding on to the word of God right now. Gathering, it's great to gather in a bigger context, but also to have community together and honor God's word and how we live. That's biblical. It's not just Korean. That, that's biblical right there. And it all comes out of a life that sees a greater love than worldly passions. A greater calling and a greater love and a greater vision. And that's what God is bringing to the island of Crete. Here's the third one, earthly governments. And some of you are like, yes, let's dive into this. And others of you are like, where's this going to go? So let's look at what the word says. Uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable, to be considerate, and to show true humility towards all men. Uh, one thing we know is that when there's a government that's benevolent, there's a lot more clarity and simplicity, okay? When there's a government around the world now, when there's a government benevolent, there's a lot more clarity and simplicity. When a government is unhealthy, there's a lot more complexity. There's still clarity in the Bible, but there's more complexity. So let's really think through this. We're going to start overseas. I want to show a picture of a situation in Germany right now. And this is at an Air Force base in Germany. And I, I also share this picture because, again, our international partners, we have uh, Sue and Sandy who are the Nafsigers, who are there in Germany and through Cadence are ministering to people at the Air Force Base, uh, Ramstein Air Force Base. Currently in Germany, there are so many people, refugees, leaving Afghanistan and arriving in Germany. 
right now. So you see the overview. Now you just see some of the, the connection, the relationships. I think we have one more picture here. And do you know that a lot of the Afghan refugees are going to come to America and even Seattle as well? And in reading this passage, some people would say, oh, they should stay in Afghanistan, and just if they get killed, they get killed, you know? Well, actually, there's a freedom when there's a dangerous situation. Uh, you don't have to stay there. You can go to another country for refuge, and there's some uh, situations around the world right now where it's so dangerous, and people are finding new homes, and uh, in fact, it's wise sometimes to leave a country. It's wise. So there's some freedom in that context. Before we just think about America, I just want to give us that worldwide view and what's happening in all the refugees. And I'll tell you, God is meeting refugees where they are. And through his people, Christians are stepping up around the world, loving refugees. And people are coming to know Jesus in an amazing way in the time we're living in. So add that to your prayer list. Uh, but what about Crete? In Crete and, in, and on this island, there is a deficiency of good citizens. Okay, it's a mess on the island of Crete. And so what are, here's three basics, okay, foundational pieces. What does it look like to be a good citizen? Here's three things. They're all B's. Uh, the first one, be respectful towards the laws of the land. It's a basic principle in the Bible. We're going to dive into that one. Be respectful of the laws of the land. Here's the second one as a good citizen. Be eager to serve other people be eager to do good in your community. And then the last one, be humble and considerate, not slandering others. What does it look like in this passage to be a good citizen? Be respectful of the laws of the land. Be eager to serve your community and your character. Be humble and considerate, not slandering other people. That's a biblical foundation for citizenship uh, here on the earth. Now, let's get into some complexities and Christians today around the world and in America are facing more complexities. So let's think through this from a biblical point of view. What do you do when the government tells you to do something immoral? And the answer's clear. You stick with the word. Don't do anything immoral in any setting when the government tells you to do something immoral. I want to think through some examples in the Bible. They wanted to kill all the babies, and Moses' mother didn't listen. Some of the Hebrew midwives didn't listen, and they protected the little babies. Uh, you also think of Rahab. She hid the spies who were going to be uh, killed, and, and yet they were following God and honoring God. When you think about uh, wiping out the Jewish people and how many times that was attempted, I think of Queen Esther that stepped in, risked her own life to challenge this immoral and wrong decree. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow down to idols. They said, no, that is not the truth. That does not honor God. And I think in our own country, uh, there was a moment where Rosa Parks said, no, we're not going to have, you know, the whites in the front of the bus and the blacks in the back. Um, this is inequality, and uh, it's not right. And so there are examples in our country and in Scripture, and I think that one's pretty clear in the Bible, that when a government decrees something that's immoral, you stick with Scripture, even though there might be a cost and a price. What about when the government does something inappropriate? Now, this is a little more complicated. There's room to challenge the government when they do something that's inappropriate. Think of Daniel in the Bible who was told not to pray, but what did he do? He did not stop praying. He wasn't going to stop praying, thrown into the lion's den, but he was going to continue. Think about 
the Apostle Paul, when he was, because he was, you know, there in the court system, he was taken in to jail as well, and Paul had conversations and said, I'm a Roman citizen. Roman citizens have certain rights. And so he challenged some inappropriate actions that were happening during his time. Uh, well, when you think back over the last year, it's been interesting because we've had situations in America where the government has said and targeted the church and said, close down the church. And no, the church can't meet. And I think for a lot of Christians, it was like, what? We've never been in this situation before. What do we do? And a lot of it has gone to the courts. And the courts have now, you know, decreed and said, actually, that was an overstepping. And that was not right for the government to step in and close down the churches. They overextended. There's similar um, pieces where it's like a state of emergency. How many days does someone have to make those decrees? And what about when it's long past? There's checks and balances within legislature to try to make sure that things are appropriate. So there are things that the government does that are inappropriate, and there's a place in a respectful and a healthy way to really challenge when things are inappropriate. What about when things are in process? And I want to give another specific example here. Uh, there's uh, in process right now uh, on the table, there's a situation and so many people in our church have come up to me individually and shared and said, this is my situation. Uh, let's say I'm not vaccinated yet. And if I don't get vaccinated, I'm going to lose my job. Right? Have we ever been in that situation before where you have to have a vaccination to keep your job? And so I'm getting a lot of emails, a lot of personal conversations talking about this particular situation. And trying to think through that as a Christian in the Bible and, you know, what's, what's on the line here? What's the freedom? And for some people, they're like, you know, I looked at vaccinations and they say, you know, the side effects don't seem that big. It looks, you know, good to go forward. But I'm just uncomfortable with the principle. Uh, and a lot of people have shared that, that how can you be forced to keep your job? You have to have a vaccination. And then if you say yes to that principle, where does that go? So there's just so much to sort through, right? And these are prayerful decisions right now. And there's a lot on the line. My encouragement to you is to stay united as husband and wife. Don't let this situation destroy the marriage. Guard your marriage. Talk, pray, stay united. Don't let this destroy your marriage. And also, if some people are going to lose their job, I was just, you know, again, trying to read and research a little bit, but the instruction is to don't resign, be fired, okay? Don't resign, make them fire you uh, if, if you're going to go that route. Again, I'm not going to get into every detail here, but um, this is one where people are making prayerful decisions. And I'd say get the facts, get informed, uh, study everything, and then make that prayerful decision, stay united as a couple, uh, let me, um, since we've gone this far, let's touch base on one more thing. Uh, what, what, about, what about masks? Uh, what, what I want to say here is it's interesting because um, my encouragement is uh, think about, okay, I'm going to step back from a second before I just make a couple comments about masks and um, take a step back. And, and again, we're doing application off these verses because this is where people are at today. This is what people are asking. This is what people are wondering. So what do we do here? We're not getting political. We're trying to stay biblical and moral. That's our goal. Uh, now, um, when it comes to the laws of the land, be careful. Here's my encouragement from perspective. Be careful you're not hyper verbal, strong on one, and then totally disrespecting a different part of the law of the land. So let me keep it in the driving realm for a second. It's a little goofy 
if somebody says, you know, we should never be speeding. That puts people's lives in danger. It's wrong. But I look at my phone when I drive sometimes. Yeah, I do that. I text when I drive. But we shouldn't speed. Do you see how that's a little weird? Or, you know, like, yeah, it's okay to look at your phone, but just don't speed. Or, you know, it's okay to look at your phone, but, um, yeah, you got to use your directional. Because if you change lanes, lanes without using your directional, like, that's not good. That's dangerous. You can cause an accident. So what I'm saying, just in the driving realm, I mean, there's so many laws of land. Do you use your directional? Do you cut people off? Do you speed? Do you um, look at your phone when you're driving? I mean, there's so many things. And just overall, be careful that you don't just, like, really strong on one, but then, oh, yeah, I give my permission to do a whole bunch of other things. Because you know what looks really goofy is when there's a Christian bumper sticker and someone just cuts you off right? <laughs> that, that, just, that just looks weird. So, uh, so what it, what, how are we really going to respond? He, here's one other thing I want to say about masks in terms of perspective. There's been so much passion about masks. So, so, so much passion about masks. Some people, they just look down upon you if, they, if you disagree with them on any of this. Um, there is so much passion about masks. If we had a hundredth of the passion to serve Auburn that we do for masks, I don't think we would need a foster care system in Auburn anymore. I don't think anyone would be homeless or hungry. I don't think people are going to be like out there um, needing help with addictions and people not having the Bible. And if we had a hundredth of the passion for masks that we have for bringing the gospel to Auburn, every man, woman, and child would have heard by now. Every man, woman, and child, a hundredth of the passion in the body of Christ for masks that we would have for sharing our story and reaching our neighbors, loving our neighbors where we live, work, learn, or play, and leading them to Jesus, I'd take a hundredth of the passion. Um, I really would. So real simple, what the elders decided around masks is that... Um, you know, again, are we going to police and enforce when people, are we going to turn people away from church because they don't have a mask on? The answer for the elders was no. We're not going to turn people away for not having a mask on. We have created a room. We've always had this room. If you want 100% in the room with masks, then we have the community room, and, and we have that available. Also, on this topic, the elders are so approachable, and there's been a lot of heartfelt conversations. It's not an easy topic. There's so many different things to think through, different perspectives, complexities. It is challenging to stay united through this topic, but let's stay united, because this is what I know, big picture. This is what I know. The devil wants to do a couple things. Throughout the history of the church and the Bible, the devil wants to divide the church. That's an agenda. The devil wants to get people disconnected from church. Do you know right now, compared to a year and a half ago, there's about half the body of Christ in America not so connected in the church. Can you imagine that 18 months ago if someone said, oh yeah, 18 months from now, half the body wouldn't be connected. Just kind of doing their own thing, wandering, whatever. They're just COVID. Who knows what's going to happen after COVID, but they're just wandering. Like churches are half full. Like that's incredible. So the devil wants us to be discouraged, divided, and disconnected. If you go that route, <laughs> no matter what you're like saying about masks, if you are discouraged, divided, and, uh, and, and you are disconnected in the body of Christ, that's the devil's goal. That is the devil's work and the devil's goal. 
So aware of that, what are we going to do? United, encourage each other, connected, loving each other. Vibrant churches in Crete. We need vibrant churches in the sound. We're not going to slander. We're going to be, by God's grace, we're going to be good citizens. We're going to say no to worldly passions. We're going to live for the Lord. We're going to be united together. We're going to be respectful of the laws of the land. But even more than that, we're going to be kind and compassionate is our character because the number one thing a Christian will be known for in the Bible is love. There's not a close second. It's not a close second. Known for your politics, that doesn't come close to known for love. If you're not known for love, it's time to do a heart check right now. If love isn't the prevailing thing that comes out of your mind and your heart and your being right now, it's time to repent and say, Jesus, I'm coming back. Jesus, help our churches to be healthy. We're living in challenging, unprecedented times, but I believe this testing of the faith, this is when our faith comes alive. This is when the body of Christ, although kicked down, rises up. This is when we remember Jesus, imitate Jesus, talk about Jesus, glorify Jesus. This is when we fall in love with Jesus again. And uh, it's so true that ultimately our citizenship is in heaven, not on the earth. In eternity in heaven, a very, very short time on earth, some of us aren't going to be alive in the next decade. Some of us aren't going to be alive in two decades. You know, 50 years from now, it'll be all different people, almost, in Grace Community Church. But for this season, to be faithful to God and live for Jesus in this season, what an honor. Because I believe the harvest has never been so abundant. Challenges are increasing, and the harvest is increasing. And this passage to the island of Crete is so relevant for us in how we live today. My encouragement is to think biblically, look at these passages, and draw near to Jesus. Because if we're all led by this Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit does not bring division and discouragement and disconnecting. The Holy Spirit brings love and unity and peace. Uh, at the end of this message right here, here's an invitation and a chance. This is how we've been doing it lately, is you can simply text. Because it is challenging, you know, to find a card, find a pen, fill it out. Who do I turn it into? That's a lot of steps. But online and here on campus, if you want to take a next step, and all these things are happening at Grace right now. That's what we celebrate. People coming to know Jesus for the first time, you want to do that? Just text the word follow. Baptism, we've got baptisms next week. It's exciting. More people are getting baptized. It's awesome. You just text the word baptism. You want to have a church home? We'd love to, to have you uh, find a life group. Do you know we've had about 30 people this last week wanting to get in life groups? We're thrilled. You know, we're going around to life group leaders saying, do you have any more room? Do you have any more room? Do you have any more room? Could you lead a group? Could, could you lead a group? It's a great thing. People are wanting to get connected right now in serving, finding a place to serve in the church and use your gifts. Let's pray. Father God, thank you what you're doing in our church family. We give you all the glory. And Father, help us to really go deep in these areas. What does it look like at our workplace? What does it look like when we're tempted? What does it look like to walk and live in this land? We're so grateful for America. Help us to navigate some of these new situations in a way that honors you. It is united and biblical. God, do a deep work in our hearts so that we would repent today. Lord, anything that doesn't line up with your word, doesn't bring you glory, Jesus, anything that is shrinking back or timid or proud, 
Anything that is stubborn, hard-hearted, rebellious, any patterns of sin we pray would be broken in Jesus' name, habits of slander, God, we pray that you would renew our hearts and minds, that we wouldn't be defeated and discouraged today. But Jesus, we look to you, to imitate you, to trust you, to glorify you, and we do that together. In your name, amen. Yo, subscribe to YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel.